0: proof Extra from News Talk. Now, if you ask somebody who discovered America, it's a pretty good chance that someone will say Christopher Columbus. Uh, maybe a nationalist might say mm, St. Brendan. Uh, perhaps an historian will say it was the North, Norse explorer Leif Erikson. Of course, none of these are the correct answer to that question. Uh, indeed, Leif Erikson may have been the first European in America, but like Columbus, after him, he was arriving on a continent where there was already people. Um, which you're probably aware. But how did they get there? America is flanked by two of the biggest oceans in the world. And if we all came from Africa, well, it's a bit of a quandary. Well, Cosimo Post is a postdoctoral researcher in the Department of Archaeogenetics at the Max Planck Institute for the Science of Human History. He joins me now. Welcome to the program, Cosimo. Hello, hello, everybody. (laughs) Tell me about your study, because you were looking at... um, sort of ancient genomes in South and and Central America.
1: Exactly, yes. So in our research, we use uh, ancient DNA. So it's DNA extracted from uh, uh, human remains that lived in the past uh, up to several thousand years ago. And we extract the DNA from uh, teeth or bones uh, of these uh, individuals in order to infer about population histories, admixtures, Migrations and, in general, uh, evolutionary processes that uh, happened in our past.
0: So we're what, three hundred um, to one hundred and fifty thousand years old as Homo sapiens, right? Uh, um, when did we leave Africa? Then was it a uh, hundred thousand years ago? Uh, so, yeah, you're right. So the, the origin of Homo sapiens is
1: dated between 200 and 300,000 uh, years ago within Africa. And then between uh, 100 and uh, 60,000 years ago, uh, people left Africa uh, and spread all over the place.
0: So, so how long ago can we trace human beings in South America? Uh,
1: technically speaking, uh, around the uh, 20 to 25,000 years ago uh, in uh, uh, North uh, North America, so in uh, nowadays Alaska, people were there already about around that time. The problem is that as they reached this place, this was during the last glacial maximum. That was the coldest phase of the last ice age, and so people. Got uh, stuck there because the northern part of North America was covered by this thick layer of ice sheet uh, that was really difficult to to go through.
0: But, but but um, we're talking about Africa. How do you get from Africa to Canada in the first place?
1: <laughs> yeah, um, to uh, it's supposed, supposedly people left Africa um, and followed a coastal route, so they went uh, across uh, Asia. Um, uh, all the way to Australia, um, f- following the, the landscape uh, um, along the, the, the oceans. Uh, however, uh, then the population split in Asia, once went uh, towards, uh, um, um, let's say, Oceania, and the other went north. And this group that went north managed to cross uh, the Bering Strait and reach uh, the northern part of North America.
0: Where's the Bering Strait again?
1: The Bering Strait is between uh, Siberia and uh, Alaska, and now it's it's covered covered with uh, ice or or water. Uh, But in the past, uh, when the the sea level was lower, this was actually a a corridor that allowed people to move uh, and connect these two continents, the Eurasian continent and the American continent.
0: Uh, Give us an idea of what... um... What's going on at 20,000 years ago or 25,000 years ago, uh, the arrival of peoples in, uh, in America? We have uh, lar- very large mammals. What else is going on? They had like the, the mastodon and they had mammoths and enormous bears and stuff. What, what else was going on in the world? I mean, what did North America look like before then?
1: Uh, you're right. There was a lot of megafaunal animals uh, all scattered across uh, the Americas and uh, really uh, easy catch for these hungry uh, humans that were spreading. The, the problem is that um, these, these individuals, these uh, early groups that arrived in um, in Alaska, they, they got stuck. They were not able to go further south because of this massive ice sheet that was covering uh, the northern part of North America. Right. So, uh, we have to find a way to explain how did they manage to cross this ice sheet.
0: How, how big is this ice
1: sheet? Ice sheet? Uh, several hundred kilometers in terms, of, uh, in terms of latitudes, actually several thousand kilometers in terms of latitude. In terms of thickness, I am not uh, really uh, s- s- sure about, but definitely
0: was not possible to, uh, to go over it. So these ice sheets um, were impossible. What happened then to, did they, did they just melt? So yes, the the ice sheets start uh, melting around uh, the,
1: let's say uh, 13,000 years ago. And there was a, a, a ice-free corridor that, humans managed to cross however there is uh, occupation uh, and signs of human occupation in the americas before 13000 so this means that people must have had uh, must have found different routes uh, and routes to enter in the americas and most likely uh, these original initial groups managed to uh, moved along the Pacific coast uh, in the Northwest North America and uh, then swept through uh, the Americans really, really fast, uh, reaching uh, the Patagonia, so the southern tip of South America, already by 14,500 years ago. So this is telling us that the peopling of, of the Americas uh, from Alaska uh, to, um, uh, to Patagonia was extremely fast. Is it possible that they could have crossed uh, an ocean to get there? Uh, It's really, it has been proposed in the past. It has also been proposed actually across the Atlantic Oceans uh, a few thousand years before the Viking uh, did it. Uh, However, we do not have any genetic evidence and uh, any reliable archaeological evidence for these contacts across uh, the oceans. And uh, the the most um, parsimonious scenarios is the arrival uh, from Beringia, and along the coast, the Pacific coast.
0: So, is that it then? Is that how um, the Native Americans got to to, to America? They they um, they came down in sort of two batches. Is it like before this big ice sheet and after it? Actually, um,
1: what we we see is that. Uh, it's not only on, it's not only one wave, obviously. But when we look inside of the uh, Americas, uh, we we see that there are several branches forming several lineages of uh, uh, human groups that are diverging one from the other. And one of those groups is actually uh, the so-called Clovis uh, uh, culture, that they are this really uh, widespread um, megafaunal hunter in uh, North America that was thought to only be uh, constrained within North America. Instead, analyzing ancient genome from South America, we find that the genetic signature of this group uh, expanded further south, reaching uh, uh, Brazil, uh, Chile, and Belize uh, between 11,000 and 9,000 years ago.
0: One of the other really interesting things you found in your study is that Australasian DNA was found in a population in Brazil.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's it's really puzzling, and this was first identified uh, three years ago. We have to say in um, a study that discovered the presence of uh, genetic um, affinity uh, in modern day people living in Amazonian uh, in Amazonia today, like a population uh, called Caritiana and Surui, uh, that. Are, um, show this extra affinity with people living today in uh, uh, Papua New Guinea, Australia, as well as Andamanese, Andamanese Islands. And this was really surprising uh, because it's found only there and nowhere, nowhere else. Now, a competing studies, uh, study of ours, published in the same, same day in a different journal, found out that one individual from Brazil dated to 10,000 years ago, also show this affinity with uh, Austro melanesian population so how did they get there uh, it's still a big question
0: it's not possible through random i mean how, how big are these pieces of dna that you're finding it's not possible that say for example um it, it, through natural evolution or random mutation this bit of genetics um sort of shaped itself that way in two different but similar sort of climates and environments? is that, that, That's just mathematically impossible, is it? Uh,
1: this is actually what you're describing is uh, uh, mathematically impossible. Uh, but I have to uh, uh, be honest, um, since uh, the signal that uh, it has been identified is really low percentage, we're talking about 2 to 3%, uh, it could be uh, some statistical fluctuation that generates the signal. So uh, we need to look in more ancient genomes possibly from the same region where today the signal is still present so in ancient Amazonian individual to see uh, if
0: uh, this uh, affinity was present in the past
1: or not do you um,
0: do you go looking for specimens or do they just fall into your lap because someone goes spelunking somewhere H- like how do you come across these ancient specimens and and, and how many do we have right now uh,
1: so usually, we work in close collaboration with archaeologists and as well as museums and uh, curators uh, that provide us access to this really valuable and incredible material that is extremely old and therefore, uh, extremely rare. Uh, in our study, we report around 50 genome, uh, dated mainly between 11,000 and 3,000 years ago. And there are no many more, There, uh, not many more. There are some others, uh, but uh, not all of them will uh, contain and preserve still ancient DNA. So we need to screen a lot to find few individuals that still can tell us a story.
0: Right, so you see it, it's the stuff that's already in museums that you managed to get to, to tinker with the DNA. How how often do we come across a new finding of uh, a specimen that's well preserved from 12,000 years ago? It's extremely
1: extremely rare and uh, there are of course active excavation going on and there could be that a uh, m- m- uh, new specimen will be found, uh, but you can count the number of uh, uh, human specimens around the time that you said, so 11,000, 12,000, on one or two uh, hands, finger of hands.
0: I don't know if you've been following a couple of stories that have been happening in Brazil and uh, Central America and other lost tribes. There was uh, some video footage of uh, a lost tribe filmed not so long ago. And there was a, a guy who, who called himself a missionary who ended up being killed as he traveled to a sort of distant lost uh, peoples and, uh, and was killed for his sort of transgressions going to a place which was hostile to, to modern humans. How useful would it be, and I'm not saying this is something that you should do, but how useful would it be to see what DNA these isolated human beings have?
1: Uh, I have to say this would be extremely
0: useful, extremely useful.
1: Actually, we know so little about the genetic diversity of uh, modern Native Americans because of, um, as you can imagine, there's been a lot of admixture uh, with the uh, post Columbus admixture. So, a lot of the diversity, original diversity that existed in the past, uh, is lost and maybe it still survives in these isolated groups. So, it will be fantastic uh, to understand the population history of uh, this region to uh,
0: analyze these, uh, um, uh, the DNA from those isolated individuals. Uh, I I think that's not going to happen anytime soon. But uh, I, I suppose it's really interesting that there e- there are these people who have been untouched by in modern times, who are probably genetic re- genetically really really interesting, and yet for ethical and uh, and for environmental reasons we don't go anywhere near them. Um, so it's really interesting to think that they live there, and it's it, you know that information is so close and yet so far away at the same time.
1: Correct. I, I totally agree with you. There, is a, there are a lot of ethical issues uh, before uh, in order to get access uh, to this uh, uh, genetic information and we need to be treated extremely carefully. However, um, we are already collaborating with institutions in Brazil that have strong ties with local communities uh, to actually uh, connect and Uh, to uh, analyze uh, uh, ancient uh, human DNA from those populations and also to report back those results to the community. So uh, we are really investing a lot of time now to to create these bounds.
0: You're relating your findings of genetic studies back to indigenous tribes in Brazil. I mean, how does that work considering the gap in access to modern or at least what we, you know what we consider to be modern literature knowledge science and so on how, how do you translate the findings of genetic studies to a, a a tribe that doesn't use technology
1: well there are several ways of uh, uh, interaction and i think it's always important to find a common language and uh, uh, avoid to use a terminology that are too technical so there are different ways to to explain that um and uh, in a way to use um, metaphors and to uh, show showing them that actually uh, a lot of the results that have been finding is that population in South America as well as in North America have a really strong genetic continuity uh, with the past. So ancient remains that we have analyzed from nine thousand years. Uh, onwards show a strong genetic continuity with modern day Native American communities. And this is, of course, really uh, important uh, for a uh, uh, piece of information for these uh, indigenous populations.
0: Well, that's really interesting, Cosmo, and um, uh, it's it's kind of crazy to think of uh, the circuitous path that people arrived. And of course, then we didn't even talk about Columbus and then uh, and all the Europeans. And now what, what America is, which is this sort of writhing mass of populations that don't always necessarily agree up north and then... Well, let's not get started about what's going on um, in in South and Central America, but uh, really interesting to speak with you, Cosimo Post um, from the Max Planck Institute for the Science of Human History. Thanks very much for joining us.
1: Thank you.